You know, I think there's still this idea of like, oh, you're gay. Okay, well, where's the proof? And I'm like, it can be true because I say it is. And it can be true because it's who I am. And like, same with sobriety. Like, it can be true that I am working on sobriety because I am saying, I'm like claiming this. I'm like putting my flag in the ground. Welcome to the show that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their choice to not drink. I'm Kate Madry, and I'm so happy you're here. Sobriety is like a thumbprint, and just like your skincare routine or your self-care routine, everyone's sober care routine is very different. By the end of each conversation, you'll leave with a little bit more insight to help guide you while building your sober care routine. This is a clear-headed podcast. I'm talking today with Beth Bowen, who I actually had on the podcast last year, and I've been on her podcast, Sober Stories. She's a sober coach, a fellow queer woman, and obviously sober. This conversation is really rooted in the similarities and the parallels to sobriety and coming into your sexuality. Okay, so we're here, like basically a year later, catching up again. Um, so much has changed, and I, I don't even want to say changed. Like I feel like so much has become more truthful. That's what I feel like this year has been. Um, but I want to kind of go back to the moment where you realize that alcohol was no longer serving you. I was trying to figure out – what I said last time. And I don't think that there was ever a light bulb moment, if you will, but it was much more this understanding for a very long time, really even a gut feeling that alcohol just didn't ever work for me. I can't say that there was ever a time when it was something that integrated into my life super well. So it was never really something that worked for me. I was always the one who wanted to keep partying and wanted to drink more. And I was the instigator in college and get more drunk than my friends. But it wasn't until probably 2016, 2017 that I allowed myself to get curious about maybe removing it from my life. Um, so it was, it was always that I knew it didn't work, but I had never given myself space to consider a life without it until those years when I was really isolated. I was really alone at home uh, as a new mom. And I think the moment that I shared last time was it was like midnight one night and I was up late drinking and that was like my MO. My husband would go to bed and I'd stay up late drinking, watching some shitty TV show. And I knew my two-year-old was going to be up in like five hours or so, but I couldn't make myself go to bed. And I remember looking at the clock and saying, I hate you so much. Like you are such a fuck up. Why can't you do this? And it was a really like, it, you talk about moments of clarity. Like it was really a very crystal clear moment in my mind of this can't go on. Like whatever this is, I can't hate myself this much. I can't feel this out of control. I can't uh, feel so disconnected from motherhood like this. Uh, and so that was really what I credit as kind of my rock bottom, if you will. It wasn't a big splashy rock bottom. It wasn't anything that happened externally, but it was this really intense moment of it, like it's almost even not safe for me to go – well, obviously physically, like the amount I was drinking was not safe, but like emotionally unsafe for me to continue drinking like I was. Um, and that's really when I started exploring full sobriety. I think the exploration of it is so 
like such a foundational phase of mm. sobriety and getting yes. sober because every single person who ends up, whether it's a linear journey or a non-linear journey, they all start with curiosity and exploring what it could be like and what life could be like if they stepped away from alcohol. Mm. Something that you said in in your answer was that you gave yourself permission. It wasn't until like 2016, 2017 where you started to give yourself permission and that is such a strong statement mm. because permission giving to ourselves comes in everything. Like it's yes. it's like we we are our own like bodyguard or something. Totally. And uh and that can feel like really heavy, like a big mm. duty to be the only real person in your life that holds the key to evolution. Yeah. Like you have to make the choice for yourself by yourself to make yourself better. Mm. And then that same kind of giving yourself permission swings into what this conversation today is about is your evolution in the last year of stepping into your truth, coming into how you mm. sexually identify, having a lot of big realizations. I just want to get into it because yeah. I had that too. And I think it's actually very <laughs> common, more yeah. common than we think. Like you totally. get sober and then you're like, yeah, I actually realize that I'm very into or not into or open totally. to so many different things in the space of sexuality and intimacy mm. and attraction. Mm -hmm. So what was your moment of clarity with your sexuality? You know, I'm excited about this because this is – I've not talked about this on any podcast. Um, I came out as by to the world in October of last year, um, you know, as one does on Instagram because, you know, right. that's where the world is, <laughs> uh, which obviously was the end of a final process of coming out one-on-one -on -one to people in my life for – like a couple years, really. Um, so I've never talked about this publicly. I'm very excited about it. But I, I think you're right. It is so much more common than we realize and then is talked about. And whether or not it's about your sexuality, like there are just so many components of our identity that we start to discover when we remove alcohol, when we get curious, when we give ourselves permission to change. Um, so the, the thing I joke about is that TikTok made me gay, which is, you know, the classic one. TikTok made me gay. Uh, you know, I oh my gosh, <laughs> I used to be like the world's best ally. Like, give me a trophy, wave a flag. I was super affirming. I was super supportive. I was always wearing like rainbow and like cheering people on from the sidelines. And I had never given myself permission to consider that maybe why I felt so connected to and drawn to and supportive of the queer community is because I was actually part of it. Um, and I joke about the TikTok thing, but I think that social media and seeing other people's experiences spoken about in different ways and in different language and in different lenses than I had ever seen before really did in fact open my eyes. Like I grew up in Texas, in Houston, in the Bible Belt. It was very heteronormative. The way we spoke about sexuality in the the early two thousands and the nineties was either all the way gay or you're all the way straight. Like if you're in between, you're just you know slutty. Can't make your mind can't make your mind up. <laughs> and 
so I grew up with this idea of this, literally a binary. You were either gay or straight. There wasn't anything in between. And I was like, well, I'm into dudes. So I guess that makes me straight. And I started to see more people talk about the spectrum as we start to understand this of like not only gender, but sexuality, like all of these things that are not just A and B, it is really A to Z and started to see myself in like different iterations of it. And I remember very vividly. So I, so I think I really started to discover over a longer period of time of like seeing somebody say something and be like, Oh yeah, that really resonates with me. Or thinking about things in my past and being like, oh, I see what that was (laughs) instead of what I thought it was. Like I, for example, I had like some really intense female friendships and really starting to put all the pieces together slowly. But it wasn't until I saw a woman on Instagram and I don't even remember why I followed her. I think it was like maybe during the, I don't know when it was. I'd followed her on Instagram for a long time and she was in her thirties and she was married and she had children and she came out as bi on social media and was basically like, this matters. Even though I'm married, even though I have kids, even though I'm going to continue to stay in this male-female relationship, like, this is who I am. This matters. This is valid. It's not too late. It's still valid. It's still worthy. And that was really revelatory for me because the thing is, is I started to understand this about myself when I was 30 years old, when I was married to a man who I love and had no plans to change our relationship structure, who had two kids. And so there was a big piece of like feeling like I missed it, like I missed the boat, Mm. like it didn't matter, like what's the point, why rock the boat, why – there was also a piece of like feeling like too much in this too of like There was a period of time where I really investigated it and like, do I, is this really real or is this like, do I want attention? Which I think a lot of people can relate to as well. Um, Mm. And so really trying to understand like why it even mattered. And then to see somebody else step into their fullest iteration, it really showed me like, this is not just like for funsies, like this is fundamentally who I am and there is validity in that. So when I think about like how I figured it out, it really was leaving space for curiosity and for exploring who I am in a lot of different ways. Like there's so many different components of who I am that I didn't discover until I got sober, this being one of them. But seeing my experience mirrored in somebody else's is what really gave me the permission to like, okay, this is real. Like this gets to be who I am and this can be something that I can integrate into the version I am now. Oh my God. <laughs> There's so much there. One, thanks for sharing all of that and just like giving me the rundown because it is so layered. Your journey on sobriety and journey on sexuality for everyone is like an onion. There's so mm-hmm. many layers. You take it one layer at a time and it's very, very different for everyone. Yes. What I find is so interesting is the overlap in exploring and questioning if alcohol is the right decision for you and exploring and questioning who you're attracted to mm-hmm. and if you even want to want to put a gender on who you're attracted to. Like there's mm-hmm. just so much 
And those speed bumps, like some of the reasons you listed why you hadn't um, felt like you had given yourself permission yet to start questioning that, like it was too late, I missed it. Mm -hmm. Do I just want attention? I don't want to rock the boat are all reasons that people don't approach an alcohol-free life. Yep, totally. And it's so funny because I think, I don't know, like, do you feel like you look back now on the version of you when you were drinking and do you feel like being a drinker was as ingrained in your identity as now you're, how you sexually like identify now? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, there's almost a direct parallel to drinking and coming out for me because first off, alcohol kept me really small. Alcohol kept mm-hmm. me in this little bubble of complacency and in just being okay with exactly where I was and no changing, no evolving. Like, I didn't have a personality. I didn't have any interests. My whole world was around sitting on my couch and drinking wine and watching TV. And there was no space in that for me to even consider what do I like? What makes me happy? What am I attracted to? What does pleasure feel like for me? Like there's no space for that. And so for me, I I feel very strongly that removing alcohol was the prereq to being able to have this space to look at my sexuality and, and understand this differently. But it's it's all the same. Like these are stories that I adopted really early on. This idea that you're either all the way gay or you're all the sh- all the way straight. This idea that you have to have alcohol in your life to mm-hmm. be normal or have fun. Like these are all stories that we are all getting at a very young age that are prescriptive, that tell us how to show up in the world. And then when we find like that we're not actually fitting into that story or maybe it doesn't jive with our lived truth, like that's really fucking uncomfortable. That's a very tough space to be in and it's easier to just numb it down with booze and not have to think about it. And I think like – I think back to so much of this, it's like anytime I felt uncomfortable – I would just drink. And so if I Mm -hmm. had ever had a moment of like maybe something happened and I started questioning like sexuality or like maybe like is that girl flirting with me? Like I just – I was so quick to just drink a glass of wine about it and not have to deal with it, to not have to mess with it. And so I think for me like they are parallels, this idea of learning how to live a life without alcohol and defying that old story and then learning how to live a life as – somebody who identifies as queer and eliminating the old heteronormative story that I had had my whole life. I mean, they are direct parallels to me. And I think both of them can be really uncomfortable for people to explore and they require that permission for self. They require that curiosity. They require that willingness to actually step into it. And like, that can be pretty scary sometimes. It's super scary. And I think, I mean, we were joking (laughs) about this before the recording, but like, it's so common I think more than we you mm-hmm. even realize yeah. of somebody gets sober yes. and then they start dating a different gender than they had mm-hmm. in the past mm-hmm. and um I feel like you know you could you could look at that and go oh my god I'm like too scared to freaking yeah. face that I'm not even going to start in my journey of like cutting mm-hmm. out alcohol like I'm not ready and it's okay and it's totally valid to like not be ready I think yeah. that's the most important part is being ready to tackle it 
But the timeline in which you realized all of this, like how long had you been sober Mm. before you started giving yourself permission or even like started sharing your sexuality? A really important question because I think one of the things that gets lost in social media is just how long some of us have been sober. So I've been sober for five and a half years at this point. Um, So I got sober at 27. Let me think about the timeline here. I got sober at 27 and it wasn't until until about my 30th year that I started to put the pieces together. Mm. And then 30 to 33 have really been the timeline of coming out. Like I had to come out to my husband. I had to tell my husband like, had to. I got to. He was my first person to right. tell, and I knew he would be safe. Um, but I had to tell him, like, hey, actually, I think I might actually be gay. <laughs> and yeah. his first re- reaction was like, "Cool, are we good?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we're good." And so, so we're great. <laughs> but like, really, like the coming out process for me has been about three years now. Of, and you know, like it's that's another thing that's very similar to sobriety of like having to say the thing and just rip the bandaid off and like get it over mm. with. It like. I always used to compare telling somebody that you're sober for the first time as like coming out sober. And I I was never sure if that was like okay to say it in that lens. But having now had to come out to people for the last three years, I'm like, yeah, no, it's the same thing. That weird like I was with my brother at a bookstore. We were like both looking at the stacks and I was like, hey, by the way, I'm gay. Like, no eye contact. Like, and it was like such a similar way. Like, hey, by the way, I'm not drinking anymore. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really want to talk about it. Like, it was a very similar experience. Um, okay, so timeline. That was like 30 to 33. And I just now started sharing publicly about it uh, in October of last year. So 33, so five years sober. Um, and, and, you know, like, I think too, as somebody who shares really publicly about my life, one of the things that felt really sticky for me was that this is a piece that I didn't share about my life mm-hmm. when like otherwise I'll like talk about my drinking problem on the internet. Uh, and totally. that's that's how I, I process outwardly and I process publicly. So my like disclaimer to this is I don't think everybody needs to share their life on the internet like you and of I do. Course. But um, yeah. yeah, it was really – it was a long process and it wasn't until a couple years into sobriety that I even had the space and the bandwidth to think about it. The first couple years were just not drinking. That's so important. I'm so happy that – you nailed that down. I know it's a lot to think about. Like, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a long time. Uh, five and a half years is a big mm-hmm. chunk of life to walk back through. So thanks yeah. for nailing down that timeline. But it, it is really important to hear because, uh, I mean, the pressure, or the anxiety of doing like so many foundational changes mm-hmm. in your lifestyle and how you see yourself. And I mean, it's all community, right? Like it's yeah. all foundationally based on, well, if I don't drink, what am I going to do with my friends? Or Mm. if I tell my friends that I want to start dating other genders or I'm actually like not into the people they keep setting me up with, like, am I going (laughs) to lose that community? And also like, I think it can be overwhelming if you're not super sure or in the experimental curious phase. There's a like for me, I used to feel like I don't know if I have like the right to identify mm-hmm. with this group yet because I yep. don't feel like uh-huh. I have it totally figured out yet. And it's still – I felt that way too when I was sober curious. I was like, I don't know if I should identify as sober mm-hmm. yet. Like even in my first very beginning of not 
drinking because I didn't work a program and because I didn't go to AA, Mm -hmm. I was like, do I even have a place in like the sober space? Totally. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, and it's – no, no, go, go, go. Yes. <laughs> I, I, no, I think you're right about that too. And, and one of the things that I struggled with is like, I'm married, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And so there was also this piece of like, we'll prove it. You know, I think there's still this idea of like, oh, you're gay. Oh, okay. Well, where's the proof? And I'm like, right. well, like on paper, on my resume, on my like little queer baby resume, I don't have any proof. Um, and so like really having to root into your baby like, resume. <laughs> And, and, but like rooting into this idea of like, it can be true because I say it is, and it can be true because it's who I am. And like, same with sobriety, like it can be true that I am working on sobriety because I am saying, I'm like claiming this, I'm like putting my flag in the ground. And, and one thing I wanted to add, going back to like this idea of how it can be scary to change and to like be scary to open this up. I've had multiple clients tell me before too that they're like, I'm, I I don't even like, I'm scared to quit drinking because I'm afraid I'm going to blow my life up in the, like, my life is going to change and everything that I'm doing right now is not going to be a right fit anymore. And like, Mm. I'm going to have to leave my husband and all this stuff. And I'm like, Mm. okay, but that's a sign. Like if you feel Mm. like the, that removing this dampening agent is going to change your life so radically because you're no longer going to be complacent in your marriage or you're no longer going to be able to tolerate the shitty boss you have. Or you're no longer going to be able to live in the awful apartment that you live in. You have to move cities and relocate. Like if you are afraid that that's going to have to happen when you quit drinking, that is such a clear sign that like your life is so misaligned and that's okay. And it can be really fucking scary to go and change everything and to rediscover who you are and like true and authentic fullness. Like we joke all the time. Like I'm, I got married when I was 23. I was a child bride and uh, we're coming up on 10 years now. And we joke all the time that like, I'm literally not the same person I was when we first got married. And I think that's true for a lot of people in long-term relationships, but like I was not gay. (laughs) I was not sober. I was not like all of Mm -hmm. these myriad of things, or I mean, I was gay, but I shouldn't know it. Um, All these myriad of things. And all of that came from quitting drinking. None of that could have been discovered, at least not as, as rapidly as it did, not as quick like evolution as it did had I not quit drinking. Do you think that with going through that with your husband, do you feel like having those conversations about not drinking and being sober was like a good warm up to have those conversations about being queer? Totally. Yeah. You know, I think that, again, there's so many similarities in this like identity that we take on between Mm -hmm. drinking and not drinking. And like one of the things Hunter says is, is, it was hard for him at the beginning because he lost his drinking buddy. Like I was his drinking mm-hmm. buddy and he lost his drinking buddy. And in coming out, I mean, that changes the dynamic of our relationship too. Like he is not in a heterosexual relationship. I mean, like he's in a male-female relationship, but he's not in a straight relationship because one of the people is not straight. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that there were a lot of parallels and a lot and, – and they're both just inherently very vulnerable to be seen fully, to to not hide behind something anymore, to not be complacent and not 
afraid of rocking the boat. Like I was very afraid to rock the boat. I was very afraid to rock the boat. And both of them felt so untenable to maintain the boat without rocking it that Mm. I was at like the tipping point and had to do it. Um, But yeah, it's just a very inherently vulnerable thing to do both of those, to tell somebody that you're with, say like, hey, this thing that we do all the time together, this thing that's like a fundamental part of our relationship, this thing that was like maybe how we met or maybe like Mm -hmm. how we socialize and spend our time together and probably have a lot of sex with and like all these things. Actually, this isn't working for me anymore and I need to stop doing it. Uh, Also, like admitting that you have struggles with something, very difficult. So it was really – I think for us, you know, it it built a lot of trust knowing that – we were able to do the sober thing and come out on the other side and we were fine. Gave me the foundation of knowing like first he's a safe space. He's a container that Mm. can hold these kind of things. Um, I don't have like this fear of abandonment from him because of a long proven track record of him sticking through hard stuff. And I think that especially if you don't have those foundations with people or if they have a proven track record of the opposite. Like this is just one more thing that's really difficult. And I talk a lot in my work about safe containers versus unsafe containers and understanding that like some relationships that we are in are fundamentally unsafe, which I'm sure you understand this as as a queer woman as well. Like there are people in my life who are not a safe container for me to talk about being queer with. I experienced a really bad experience when I was coming out with some extended family members who outed me to another extended family. It was, it was a whole thing. It was an incredibly unsafe container to hold these kind of things, but I knew they were unsafe going into it. So like Mm -hmm. I was braced, I was ready. Like it was just a checkbox that I had to do. The being outed thing was unfortunate and awful. And I don't talk to that person anymore, but like, I just knew that they weren't safe containers in the first place. So I didn't expect them to be But sometimes, like, there are people that we can tell these things to and that we can share these things to that we think are safe containers, and they meet us on the other side with, like, disapproving or hate or unacceptance. What's the opposite of acceptance? Um, Yeah. You know, like – Yeah. Yeah. So I I knew that he had a proven track record of being safe because of some of the things that we'd experienced before, like, quitting drinking. With – because this is – okay. So many things I, I really like can't even express how parallel so much of this is with sobriety and coming out yeah. and having these conversations because they are conversations first with yourself, but mm-hmm. then with the people around you. And then there are things and practices and tools that mm-hmm. the people in your life that are those safe containers go and get or process like all that to say what support did you guys seek together or individually Mm. after you had that conversation to keep that safe container label strong valid Mm. within each other and just like by yourselves on your own that's a great question. And somebody asked me on Instagram, I did an AMA, um, they asked me if I lost any friends when I came out. And my answer was, I was like, actually to think about that because I couldn't think of a, a person, like an entity who, except for some family stuff, but a, a friend, mm-hmm. a, a part of my community who denied me because I am queer 
Um, but I also don't know if there are people in my life who maybe silently, quote unquote, disapprove. Um, but the reason this didn't happen, I didn't have this experience of having like a friend being like, well, see you later, was because we have really built a life. And you mentioned community earlier. We have really built a life here in Austin of very queer affirming people. Um, like a large percentage of my husband's staff at work is queer. Um, all of our friends are affirming. All of our friends, I have tons of queer friends too. And every single person that we interact with in our day-to-day life is I said, like, <laughs> made a habit of associating with, like, sparkly, vibrant people who would never mm-hmm. be the kind of people that would create an unsafe container in mm-hmm. this specific realm. And so my coming out, especially here at home with our people, was so, like, organic and so supportive and affirming. And, like, I remember – going to our closest friend's house and, and sharing this. And they were like, cool, great. Love you guys. Um, and, and so like they, our community just inherently created this safe container to continue expanding and also creating space for Hunter in this too, for understanding like mm-hmm. this changes his life in less specific ways, but still changes who we are as, as, as a duo and who we are as a family. Um, and, and holding space for that too. So it just felt like we were very held in our community and very supported in that. And no one ever, it's really funny, like some generational differences that we noticed. Uh, every single person in uh, the baby boomer or older generation asked us if we were getting divorced and everybody in the millennial <laughs> generation uh, was like, cool, love you guys. Uh, y'all changing anything about what you're doing? And it's just so interesting. I'm like, I don't think y'all understand what bisexual means. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. But to answer your question, like I think we were just really – we have very carefully crafted our community over the last, we've been in Austin for 13 years now. And like, I think we used to have people in our lives that maybe wouldn't be affirming in this way, but like starting in like the 2016, 2020 elections, like it got real apparent who the kind of people we wouldn't, wouldn't want to spend time with are. Um, And so we were really fortunate in that. I think harvesting a environment and relationships that you I feel like respect is like the Mm -hmm. headliner for me when I want the friends that I want to be around. I want to respect them. Mm. I want to aspire to think the way that they do. And because I feel like respect is given and you get respect back and it's just all uh, really harvesting. Yeah. Like this Mm. community. I like that word. That kind of brings me to your role as a parent. And mm-hmm. you're nurturing and raising children mm. to go and be somebody else's community and to yeah. grow their own. Did you have to have or did you get to have conversations with your mm. children? And well, like, what did that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I think at the core of it, too, my children are the reason. No, let me step back. Myself. And being able to live fully and authentically was the reason I came out. But my children and the world they're going to grow up in is the secondary reason I came out because 
it's getting scarier and scarier to be queer and it's getting physically dangerous and emotionally dangerous. Like I live in Texas, y'all. And I so deeply want my kids to be able to grow up and be fully expressed exactly who they are and to know that I am a safe harbor for them no matter what. And I was like, if I can't extend that to myself, then I can't model that for my kids. A lot of my life is about modeling behavior for my kids. So that was a big piece of coming out was like, if one of my kids turns out to be queer or gay or trans or whatever, like I want them to have a safe landing. I want them to have a space where we talk about these things, where we are affirming of other people in this space so that they know it's safe, so that they know it's okay. And a big part of that has been, again, like I said, our community is is, is pretty stinking queer here at this point in time. And so my kids are around folks that are queer and around folks that are trans and around folks that are non-binary or have same-sex partners. And so they see the visuals of it. And kids are so funny in the fact that they might ask a question and they're like, why does Jimmy, Timmy at school have two dads? And then you're like, well, they have two dads because their dads are in love and they got married and had a baby or whatever their relationship structure is. And the kid's like, okay, can I have a snack? Like the, the, they're so um, accepting of, especially I've noticed with like the queer community of like, okay, sounds good. Like, oh, that person wants to express themselves that way. Or, oh, that person has this identity or, oh, that person is in the wrong body. Like, all right, cool. Um, And my kids are just growing up around it, which, you know, I mean, you might call me a groomer, if you will. Um, but they are just being exposed to different kinds of people who have different sorts of identities and relationship structures. And like when I think about going back to our stories and the stories we grew up with as kids and the way we were told we're supposed to show up in the world, what I hope to get, be giving my kids is the ability to have lots of different options. Like there's not one prescriptive way I want my kids to grow up. Um, So especially like my four-year-old Max, he's, he's just around it a lot. Um, We were just at a local pride recently and the way we explained pride, this is not my kid's first year. My, my older son, Will is stoked to go to pride again. Um, But the way we explained pride, pride to our kids was that it is uh, just something celebrating people being exactly who they are and being loved for it. And so Max is like, sweet, I'm going to Spider-Man. And he dressed up in a Spider-Man costume. And it, like, it just the, the kids are like, all right, cool. I'm going to be Spider-Man. Um, and my older son, Will, he's almost eight. So he understands things a lot better. And he's really, really mature for his age. So we've had actually some like pretty in-depth conversations and like he's very curious about uh like how babies are made and like oh if that's how babies are made how do two men have babies and like we've gotten like deep like into like some logistics here um and it all just comes back to like teaching our kids that there's not one right way to be and you can be who you are and you can love who you are, love who you love and you can express yourself how you want to. And like, we still love you. And we're going to create safe spaces for other people to do the same. And kids are like, all right, sounds great. It's so funny. Like the curiosity that children have, I think is so sometimes 
I don't know. I feel like uh, it got mismarketed as like the curiosity for kids is like judgment, but it's really just curious. Like they just want an answer and then they're done with it. And you kind of, depending on who's raising them, implement where they feel like they need to place judgment. So Mm. really does start with, I feel like the parents. I'm not a parent, so I really can't speak to it, but I I feel like that's pretty accurate. I I posted on TikTok the other day um, and I got some nasty comments, right? Because uh, my older son, Will, is ostensibly straight. I have no indication that he's not. Um, But again, that's a heteronormative assumption. So we are leaving space for whatever happens. But he is uh, presumptively straight. And the kid fucking loves pride. And he loves the drag shows. And he loves dressing up in rainbows. And like, by the end of the day, had outfitted himself in so much rainbow paraphernalia. Like, he looked like a rainbow superhero. It was so cool. We were like, you are so cool, my dude. Uh, And I posted on TikTok, I was like, kids have to be taught to hate gay people because if left to their own devices, they're going to decide rainbows are really fucking cool. Like, there's so much of this that is modeled at a young age. And God, going back to the parallels with alcohol, like Mm -hmm. we have the same kind of mature conversations with – I think people don't give kids credit for how much maturity they actually do have and how much context they can grasp onto because Mm -hmm. like – to just say like pride is about people who love each other, loving each other, the end, like that leaves a lot of space for not understanding the context, not understanding that there are other people that think that that's unsafe for people to, or not okay for people to do, that it is unsafe, that there is bias, that there is like we have had really deep conversations with my eight-year-old about the context of these things. And we've had the same kind of conversations about alcohol because kids are noticing. Kids notice these things. Kids notice that mom doesn't drink. Yeah. Kids notice that mom doesn't drink and that dad does. And then they're like, they notice that mom's drinks are safe for kids, but dad's drinks aren't Mm -hmm. safe for kids. Well, why is that? And then when Mm -hmm. we explain what it is, they're like, well, why would an adult drink that? And then my husband's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, good question. Um, But like (laughs) – Kids notice these things. They are not oblivious to what they're being exposed to and what the adults in their life are doing and acting and saying and being. And when we don't talk about it, like that just leaves so much space for assumption. That leaves so much space for questions. Like Mm -hmm. they just – I remember when I grew up, I was told not to drink like from general people. I can't even like remember – specifically for my parents, but just in general, the story not to drink was like, you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get an STD, so don't drink. I wasn't told about like how it impacts my mental health or how normal people, I'm using air quotes in this podcast, normal people Mm -hmm. can get an addiction to alcohol or like that some people can die. Like we Mm -hmm. explained like somebody can die from alcohol and like it just wasn't talked about when I was a kid, so I had to figure it out on my own. And I had to... I had to figure it out on my own and I didn't have models of myself to be able to put into to say, oh, that could be me. Because Mm -hmm. while figuring it out myself, all I saw were people who were so different than me having problems with addiction. So it like was never even a consideration that I might be somebody who might struggle with that. Um, so, So, I mean, I think this just goes back to like we've been pretty honest with our kids and uh, that's a choice (laughs) and it's not a choice that everybody in our family loves how frank we are Mm -hmm. about it um you know I think some people could say that like it's too much even but 
I just want my kids to have all of the knowledge and tools that they can have before they have to go out into the world and figure it out on their own. And I want them to also know that they can talk to us about it, that like we are a safe place to ask questions, to be curious, to like ask the weird question, to explore, to figure this out. And I do it all by modeling. Yeah. You know, I think what just played in my head when, when you said people could think that we share too much, but I really feel that silence is incredibly mm. loud when it comes yes. from parents on topics. Yes. And um, I don't know. That's my biggest takeaway. I, I think sil- like- silence is really loud from all sorts of people. Like there are people in my yeah. life too. Talking about going back to coming out, like there are people in my life that haven't said anything. Like I noticed that. Um, right. And and it silence makes me wonder well. and it makes me, me curious. And um, – yeah, I, I just want my kids to know where we stand too and know what our yeah. values are as a family and um and what's important and like that we can talk about hard things. And really honestly, I feel like it's such a gift because your children are getting to know you. Mm-hmm. Out of everything else, they're getting to know you, mm-hmm. their parent on a deeper level that I didn't know about my parents. Yeah. I still don't know right. about my parents. And now right. I'm kind of like, la, 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 la. I don't really want to know. <laughs> totally. Totally. But there's, a, there's a, a deeper connection that you're gifting your children by being so open mm. and vulnerable about really vulnerable topics like alcohol consumption mm-hmm. and sexuality. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, it's funny too with the I'm sexuality so- thing. Like there's – there's it's so complex too. It's like there's nuance mm-hmm. to it. So – even Will was like, well, you can't be gay because you're married to a man. And it's like, well, mm. let me tell you about something about yourself that you might outwardly look one way and inwardly you might be different. Like it's so complex. and it, But, it, but it, it for is. us, it opens up a lot of opportunities to make more space for them to be fully formed humans that get to be exactly who they are. I think too the theme that I've found with learning about sexual identity, gender identity, how you identify in sobriety is like you can always learn more. And because Mm -hmm. it's so new in theory, like new being talked about, not new existing, um, we're always learning more. And so even thinking one way for a certain amount of time about yourself or I don't know, just even how you understand like what queer means, what bi means, what Mm -hmm. pan means. Like you can always learn more and change and grow. And I think that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful that we can always evolve and get better words or keep them to ourselves and talk to other people. And, um, and I, I just love that we've gone through kind of like Mm. not a similar journey because I'm not – yeah. I don't have a husband, but no, but totally it's so similar. Weird and it's it's so cool. I love we your came back yours to and, ourselves. Yeah, I love yours and Sarah's story. I think that's so wonderful. And you know, I, I think part of why I spill my guts on the internet and I talk about these things and I put like some of the family stuff was not great. Like I've put myself in some vulnerable situations by talking about being gay. Um, But I do it because, like, I also know I have so much privilege and Mm -hmm. I am inherently in a safer physically, mentally, emotionally space than a lot of people out in the world. And so, like, 
I'll be the body to take some of the bullshit so that somebody else can see themselves and have permission to make a change or, or get curious or do something new in their life or like maybe get sober curious or maybe start to question their sexuality. Like I think that that's a component of like the modeling for me too. And like, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's delusional, but like it feels like purpose to be able to talk about these things and to make space to talk about these things. Um, Because I've got a lot of protective factors and there's a lot of stones, sticks and stones that won't hurt me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I try to do it for other people too. Yeah. It's very important to acknowledge and, uh, and not delusional at all. Very makes total sense to me. Um, I feel like I could talk to you for like about a week straight because there's so much and yep. <laughs> we are joking about making this annual and I, we just might have to. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, spinoff. Spinoff. <laughs> but I want to wrap this up with my last conversation, which is right now, uh, what is something in your sober care routine? Hmm. I love this question and I think that that is such a beautiful phrase. Um, I like it so much better than toolbox, by the way. I think it's wonderful. Um, (laughs) something I've really been enjoying lately is, um, movement has always been a part of my sober care routine. It's always been an integral part of it. Um, it's really important into how I manage my mental health and my nervous system. And recently I've started doing, have you heard of The Class by Taryn? I think her name's Taryn Toomey. No. Okay. The what is class. it? Is it's it like cardio? Class. It's, okay, yeah, it's like that. cardio, but it's like all body weight stuff. Um, but it is like this mix of like body weight exercises and like standing cardio, but then also just like wild movements and like dancing and like shaking and flailing your arms and it feels so uncomfortable for me um to be that expressive with my physical body and the first time I did a class I was like I hate that and I think I need to keep doing it and it has really been interesting to see how it like helps me physically expand um versus like I feel like I'm a pretty like emotionally expansive person but my body has always been something I've struggled with. I have a history of eating disorders. Like it's a whole thing. And so to like move my body and to take up that much space and to be kind of wild with my body um, has been an entirely new nervous system regulation that I hadn't experienced through other forms of movement before. Uh, It's like virtual, like you can do their online studio or whatever, but that has been my new favorite, like love hate relationship, but I think it's doing a lot of good stuff for me. Oh, I love that. There's so much science behind like moving mm-hmm. your body to help process feelings yes. and emotions in your brain. So that tracks. Yes. I yes, feel like totally. I'd be very uncomfortable with it too, but all the yeah. more reason to do it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And you get to do it Just, in like the privacy of your bedroom. It's fine. No one's yeah. watching when you're like shaking your arms and like doing weird things. <laughs> okay. I love it. The class. I'll look it up. Yeah, Thank class. you so much for joining me again and I of course so cherish our relationship and 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 your knowledge that you're so kindly sharing with everyone so thank you thank you for having me back on this is great 
For more guidance on building your sober hair routine, head to clearheaded.co or follow us on Instagram at clearheaded.co. 